Welcome to another edition of Running the Race with Rob King. We're so glad that you are with us. I've been praying for you. Thank you for subscribing and sharing this podcast with your friends. Also, you can drop us an email at robkingpodcast at gmail.com. We love to pray for you. We also love to respond to all those who are listening. Thank you so much for sharing. Today, we're going to get right into it, and we're going to start to go through First Peter. The Apostle Peter is one that we know probably as much, if not more, about personally than any other person in the New Testament. We know about Paul. We, of course, know about Christ. uh, But we hear a lot about the Apostle Peter. And you think about his life. Historians tell us that he was a large man. And we know that he was a fisherman. We know that he was not highly educated. As a matter of fact, the disciples, when they were teaching, a lot of times the scribes and the Pharisees would remark to the fact that, man, who are these uneducated people that are teaching with such power and with with such authority? And we know why they taught with authority, because they had the Holy Spirit backing their words. The Apostle Peter follows Jesus. We find out that he is uh, he's somebody who really... <laughs> lives, I really can relate to this, he puts his foot in his mouth a lot. We read the Apostle Peter and the different things that happen to him through Jesus's ministry and in the gospel accounts of the ministry of Jesus. And many times, Peter was the one who would speak up first. Him and Thomas were kind of known like this. You can tell that that he's somebody who's given to action. If you recall, when he was going to be restored to ministry, he saw Jesus on the shore. This would have been like in John chapter 21. And they, they, were, they were rowing towards the shore. They were going to get to the shore. But of course, what did, what did Peter do? I mean, he, he took off his outer garment and he jumped in the water and he swam. He swam, you know. He's the one who, when Jesus was walking on the water, he's the one who said, bid me come out onto the water. And, and Jesus said, come on out. And it was the apostle Peter who stepped out of the boat And the only other human being that walked on water in the ministry of Jesus, besides Jesus himself, albeit only for a few moments, because as soon as he got out on the water, he he started looking at the storm and all the stuff that was around, and he he immediately started to sink. I I, I think of how Jesus called him uh, Peter. He referred to him, his nickname was the stone, Cephas. uh, His name would have meant rock. He's a strong man. Of course, that day on the water, he really did become like a stone. He started to sink, and then Jesus uh, reached out and helped him up and then really told him, why, why didn't you believe? Why did you start to see the storm? Why did you start to see all these other things? But we cannot deny the fact that of all of the disciples, it was the Apostle Peter who stepped out of the boat. So there was something in his personality Right, he was somebody who was strong. He 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 was kind of spontaneous. He didn't always use his best judgment. Then, in one day, just for example, as we're getting ready to get into uh, the first uh, book of Peter, the first letter that he wrote, I think about the day when Jesus said, "Who do people say that I am?" And it was the apostle Peter who said, uh, "Well, they say you're a great teacher. Elijah's come back. Maybe John has been resurrected from the dead." And he says, "Who do you say that I am?" And the Apostle Peter says, you're the Son of God. You're the Christ. And in that moment, Jesus said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus giving an indication 
giving an indication of how salvation has to come. It can't just come by somebody figuring it out, even through apologetics, as good as that is, and God can use that. But the truth is, the Holy Spirit has to reveal to a heart that Jesus is the Son of God. If you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, if He's been revealed to you as the Savior, it's not because you went on a global search and you're so holy and you so desire righteousness that you finally found a God who is hiding himself from you. No, no, no. That's not at all what the scripture says. Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, salvation comes down from heaven like bread from heaven, like manna from heaven. And God, by his grace, reveals to you that Jesus is the Christ, if you know Christ today, how fortunate are you? How fortunate am I to know Christ? I don't deserve to know Him. I shouldn't be serving Him. That shouldn't even be an option. Every single person has roamed away from God. We're all like sheep gone astray, but, but God in His great love for us has sent His Son for us. How great is our God? How loving and kind. We, we would be in total darkness if it weren't for God revealing Jesus Christ to us. Well, the Apostle Peter, in one moment, he says, you're the Christ, and Jesus is commending him, saying, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. And then the very next moment, Jesus, I think it's in Mark chapter 8, where he's saying, he's telling them for the first time, all the disciples, that he's going to die. Now, they're convinced that he's going to be uh, lifted up, They're convinced that Jesus is going to be somehow a ruler. He's going to uh, usurp or overtake the Roman authority that they are under as Jewish people. That's why one of the disciples' moms comes to Jesus and says, Can my son sit on your left hand and on your right? And and they had no idea what they were asking about. Jesus instead tells them that he's going to suffer and die. This would be completely contrary to what they had thought. Did I say contrary? Contrary, well, I said it wrong anyway. It's completely different than what Jesus was teaching. He said, I'm going to die. That's when the apostle Peter said, in all of his strength and authority as a person and his strong personality, he says, you know, you're not going to die basically over my dead body. We're not going to allow you to die. And that's where Jesus says to the apostle Peter, get behind me, Satan. So in one moment, he's brave, he's courageous, he's on the water. The next moment, he's siding with the enemy of the universe. He's siding with the devil, telling Jesus that he won't die. And Jesus is saying, get behind me, Satan. In other words, every worldly idea of the enemy that says, I'm not going to die. No, that's not, I am going to die. And then, of course, in the brashness of the Apostle Peter's uh, personality, he tells Jesus that he'll never betray him. But Jesus said, you will betray me, but I prayed for you. And when when you're reinstated, I want you to feed my sheep. And Or the Apostle Peter, when he was on the uh, Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, 
Jesus only had uh, James, Peter, and John go up with him on this mountain, and he was glorified. He was, he was seen. Jesus was seen in his glorified state. He was, he was bright, white, shining. Uh, some translations say cleaner than any launderer could ever get his clothing, trying to capture what that would have been like on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus then saw Elijah. He spoke with Moses. And of course, who was it that spoke up in the middle of all that? It was the Apostle Peter. Who, who, who was beyond belief. I mean, he, he was seeing Jesus being glorified and Elijah and Moses. And how would you respond? I mean, if they fall on their face and then he comes up with this idea. He says, oh, this will be great. We'll make tabernacles, one for you and one for the... We'll just camp out right here. This will be the new thing. This is the great... And it's just a bad, human, dumb idea. He didn't know what was happening. He didn't understand that moment at all that Moses and Elijah were encouraging Christ, that Christ was going to finish what Moses and the law had started. He was going to finish what Elijah had tried to do in the prophets, that all the law and all the prophets were being fulfilled in Christ, that Christ was far better than the law. Christ was better than Moses. Christ was better than Elijah, and they were there together. It was this confirmation of God upon the life of Christ, much like at his baptism where the Father says from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Son is there in the water being baptized. The Spirit uh, descends upon him like a dove. And there we see a beautiful picture of the Trinity where the Spirit is descending like a dove. The Father is speaking from heaven. The Son is there in the water. And and in the same way, uh, in that instance, when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration, It was just an incredible picture of God affirming and confirming the work of His Son, Jesus Christ, to save the world. And the Apostle Peter gives us a glimpse of what it's like to be a human being in that moment, (laughs) where he's going to come up with some great idea. Uh, And the voice comes down from heaven and says, this is my son. Listen to him. In other words, be quiet. (laughs) But the Apostle Peter couldn't help himself. He was so given to this spontaneous, uh, uh, you know, uh, lack of self-control and then promising that he was going to be strong but being weak. And you saw in the Apostle Peter in his life this great desire to serve Jesus, but at the same time this total inability to serve Jesus. One time they were in a boat fishing and the Apostle Peter says, to Jesus, would you go away from me? I'm an unclean man. What, what an awareness that, that Peter had of who he was. I mean, to, to, to hang around with Jesus, you just had to be constantly aware of the difference between him and you. He was so faithful. Jesus, fully man and fully God. And yet there he was with the Apostle Peter, and the Apostle Peter saying, I'm just not even worthy to be around you. Go away from me. I know I'm unclean. Even when the Apostle Peter denied Christ, the shame was, was obvious. The shame was there. He saw Christ being beaten, and he denied him. And he finally, his final denial was that there was a teenage girl that was there, and uh, he actually cussed 
a denial, which probably if fishermen, ha- I don't know if they haven't changed much, but that bad language among fishermen is kind of, uh, kind of known. And uh, I, I'm sure that was natural for him as a fisherman uh, before he knew Christ, that he slipped right back into it and, and, and he cussed and said no. Um, I don't know this guy. He was so afraid. The disciples all fled and, and, and betrayed Christ uh, when he was being crucified. And the apostle Peter saw Jesus and Jesus saw that betrayal and he was so distraught. The story goes that he was so distraught that he finally just took the disciples after the death of Christ and he went back fishing. It was then that they were out on the water and they were fishing that somebody came along the shore and as Jesus would do in his resurrected body, kind of hid his appearance somehow, that they would know who it is. And he said, have you caught anything? And they said, no, we haven't caught anything. And he said, you know, try, have you tried this side? <laughs> Which I laugh at because, first of all, the Apostle Peter had gone back to fishing. There was something in this that was, he felt like he had let the Savior down. He felt like maybe they were going to go on this, this journey together, but then Christ had died. He was undoubtedly uh, uh, saddened, depressed, uh, disillusioned. And now he said, let's go, boys, let's go back out to fishing. Jesus had called them away from that and said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. But the Apostle Peter went back. And he led others to it. And they were just fishing all night long. They hadn't caught anything. And there's this guy on the shore who says, did you try the other side? Well, most likely, yes. And if you've ever been fishing and you're not catching anything, the last thing you want is some advice from some guy on the shore to tell you how to do it. (laughs) And Of course, they started to haul in the fish. And as soon as they started to haul in a huge catch, the Apostle Peter knew who it was on the shore. And like I said, in, in his great fervor, he takes off his outer garment, he jumps in the water, he swims to the shore. And the only two times that a charcoal fire is mentioned in Scripture is one when the Apostle Peter was denying Christ and cussing to that teenage girl, and the other is the charcoal fire that Jesus built on the shore for breakfast that day. So that when you imagine the Apostle Peter coming up on shore and Jesus is saying, Jesus is there and Jesus has a fire and the same, you know, there's something very unique about a charcoal fire. Uh, you're going out to a bonfire and you smell that smell. You, you, you know that smell. That is a distinct smell. And he had smelled that when he had betrayed Christ and now he was, he was smelling that again and there was Christ sitting in front of him and what he must have felt like such a loser. I told you I wasn't going to betray you. I, I thought I was the, the, the greatest of the disciples. Even when Jesus went to wash his feet, he said, No, you don't wash my feet, Lord. The Lord said, And then in his passion, Jesus said, I'm going to wash your feet. And, and the apostle Peter said, Well, not only my feet, but my whole body. This is the kind of person that he was. He was all or nothing. Jesus said, No, I, you don't need a bath. I'm doing this for a reason, once again, that you don't understand. This was at the Last Supper. Jesus is now on the shore, and the Apostle Peter is there with all of his shame and all of his guilt. <sighs> Can you imagine what it felt like to, to, while Christ was being beaten and crucified and you were denying him? I think we all have a sense of what that is because we've given our life to Christ and there's been times where we've failed him. We haven't lived up to our promise, have we? Isn't it great that we have a Savior that, that He is faithful. Even when we fail, He's faithful. He's so faithful. So the Apostle Peter there is with him, and Jesus is saying, Do you love me? 
do you love me? The Apostle Peter said, I love you, Lord. I do love you. Three times he asks him because there were three times that the Apostle Peter betrayed him. So he restores him to ministry with these three questions each time. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then he gives him his, his commission, if you will. He gives him his ministry back. There seems to be this, he's reinstated where he says to the Apostle Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. I'm saying all of this to set up this uh, book, this letter that uh, Peter is going to write. Because the, what's great about First and Second Peter is that we get to see the maturation process of this disciple, of this apostle. So we know a lot about his life, and we know what it was like when Jesus was with him, and what it was like when he was with Jesus, and now we get to see what he is becoming. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through the uh, first uh, letter of Peter. And you need to know that this, this is written to uh, believers that are discouraged. This is written to a group of uh, believers that are, that are scattered. And this is written to a group of uh, Jews who were seen as being hostile to the Roman culture just because they lived set apart and, and holy lives. This is written to people to encourage them, to encourage these believers that their citizenship is in heaven and that they're strangers in a hostile, Satan-energized world. This is the Christian life. The Christian life, according to 1 Peter, can be summed up as this, a call to victory and a way that Christians would deal with animosity. The Christian life can be summed up as this, victory and glory through the path of suffering. This is the Christian life. I'm going to say that again. This is according to the Apostle Peter in this book, victory and glory attained through the path of suffering, this is the Christian life. So he's going, to, he's going to write a lot about suffering and encouraging them. Why? They were in a culture that was totally anti-Christ. And they were in a culture where uh, they were under threat and they were suffering for Christ. And yet they weren't trying to overthrow the Roman government. They were just living quiet and peaceable lives as unto the Lord, and they were still under threat. And the Apostle Peter is going to encourage them on how to live and how to live for Christ. And in this, we're going to get to see how much he has changed. I'll just spend a few minutes here in chapter 1. We won't get too far, and then we'll pick up next time with wherever we leave off. Here's where it begins in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I can stop right there and say that if there's an, every apostle... Uh, in order to be an apostle, you needed to actually see Jesus Christ in the flesh. You needed to be with Jesus Christ, and you need to be called by Jesus Christ to be an apostle. So the apostles um, were called by Christ, they had seen Christ, and they were used by God to initiate in the first century the church. This is why we see the apostles doing so many miracles. The apostles would do miracles in order to, uh, this is the Lord God backing up His Word and showing us by miracle proof that the gospel is legitimate. People who nowadays call themselves apostles, 
Um, I, I think we need to be careful of that. We don't agree with that. We don't see that in Scripture. We believe that an apostle is someone who has been seen, who has actually seen the risen Christ and is called by him. And Peter is one of those. And that, now here's who he is writing to. It says, To the elect to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is just the first two verses of this letter that he's going to write, and it is filled with incredible doctrine and theology. Think about what he's writing right now. He said he identifies himself. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, called by Jesus Christ as an apostle. And here's who I'm writing to. I'm writing to those who are elect exiles. Elect. This is a word that is used throughout the New Testament. You should read through the New Testament and just kind of highlight and identify whenever it says chosen or elect. What does this mean? This means that God, in His infinite wisdom, have those whom He has chosen. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can with confidence say that before the foundation of the world, He has chosen me. He has selected me. Think about this for just a second. The Apostle Peter is writing to those who are chosen, to those who are, have been elected by God. God has elected you. God has chosen you. That before the foundation of the world, your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus knows you. He knew who would call to Him. And the only ones that would, that would know Him are those that He chooses to reveal Himself to. This is throughout Scripture, and this is who He's writing to, to those who are the elect. If you are, if you are serving Christ, you've given your life to Christ, you can say with confidence, I've been chosen by God. It's not that I chose Him, but that He has chosen me. Think about that. Not that I, in my great wisdom, have chosen God, but that God has revealed Himself to me and He has chosen me to know. This is why throughout all of the uh, gospel accounts, I always wondered this. Have you ever wondered this? Why would Jesus hide Himself? Why would He say uh, in the words of Isaiah, these things I'll say, but they won't know because they don't hear. They don't have ears to hear. He would say, those of you who have ears to hear, let him hear. Or he would go outside of town and he would do a miracle. He didn't want them to know. He would, he would hide himself, his, his identity from, from people. So many times demons would cry out and say, Here, what do you have to do with us? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he would, he would make them be quiet and shut them up. Not everyone will know Christ. As a matter of fact, the road is narrow that leads to salvation, and it's wide that leads to destruction. All of these things remind me that we are most fortunate and blessed who know Jesus Christ. And there's a darkness that's over the eyes of those who don't know Him, and that's why we pray for those who don't know Him, that they would have God reveal to them and open their eyes, that they would see that Jesus is the Son of God, that He's the Christ. But those of us who do know Him, oh, I mean, what's the depth of the gratitude we should have 
that we would know, that we would be called the sons of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we would be called his children. How fortunate are we? And this is who he's writing to, the elect exiles. So all of those who have been dispersed because of the persecution. This is who he's writing to. And then he says, the elect exiles according to what? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father... So in other words, God knew ahead of time. Of course, we know and believe that God knows all things. There's nothing that God doesn't know. He knows all things. He's omniscient. There are some today who think that God has somehow kept himself from knowing certain things. That is not true. God knows all things. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and this is, this is really neat because writing these first two verses is the entirety of the Trinity. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, God knows everything, in the sanctification of the Spirit, who does the sanctification process? Who is sanctifying you right now? The Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. Why? Well, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. So so you have right here the foreknowledge of God the Father is there. By the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is there living on the inside of us, sanctifying us, working with us, teaching us all things about Jesus Christ, never talking about himself, but always talking about Jesus. And why is it? For obedience to Jesus Christ. This is the reason that you have been saved, that you would glorify God. And how do you glorify him? And how do you love him? You love him and I love him by obeying him. If you love me, you will obey my commands, Jesus says right here in the first two verses. The Trinity. God the Father in His infinite foreknowledge has chosen you. The Holy Spirit has sealed you. And Jesus Christ has sprinkled you with His blood. This is the perfect picture of Moses before the children of God when he would put the blood of the animals on the plates and he literally would splash it on the people. And the the Apostle Peter wants us to know that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that Old Testament prophecy and prophets and law. It's in Christ And then he says at the end of verse 2, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. I'd encourage you today that when you have the grace of God in your life, that's where the peace of God comes. When you have His grace and you have peace with Him, you have peace in your life. No matter what else is happening or going on in your world right now, man, by the foreknowledge of God, you've been chosen by Him. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and you are able by His power to obey Jesus Christ. And with that, you will have grace and peace. That's what I'm praying for you today, that you'd be encouraged, that you'd have grace and peace given to you that can only come from God Almighty. I want you to know that I'm praying for you, and we love you. Hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and share it with others. Again, you can email us at robkingpodcast at gmail.com. Let me say a prayer for you as uh, you face this week, and uh, just know that we love you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for everyone who is listening to your word through this podcast. We belong to you, and you know us because we are yours. We've been selected by you and chosen by you, and for that we are and we'll be eternally grateful. God, would you sanctify us by your Holy Spirit today? Would you help each and every one of us to be obedient to Jesus Christ? 
Lord, we love you. We give our lives to you. And we thank you. I pray for your special grace on every listener today and your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.